Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the feminist podcast at the center of the well-dressed and spooky Venn diagram. Yes. <laughs> Today we have Kellen, Laura, Zoe, and Ozzy. And today we are continuing our spooky season series, which happens every year, of course, course. by talking about fast fashion and Halloween. Spooky. Fast fashion is a multi-billion dollar global industry that produces um, a lot of wealth for people at the top and a lot of waste that unfortunately has to go somewhere. Doesn't sound like anything else I've ever heard of. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about some of the labor and environmental issues that accompany fast fashion today. And we're also going to talk about how they intersect with my personal favorite part of Halloween, which of course is dressing up in costumes. Um, we're also going to talk about ways to do Halloween sustainably and without buying a cheaply made slutty fill in the blank costume that you'll never wear again. Because why do that when you can craft a slutty fill-in-the-blank costume from items you already have or at least will get multiple uses from? But before we get into that, you know that we at Season of the Bitch love to talk history. So we're going to get into the history of dressing up for Halloween to kick things off. Yes, we are. So we've talked about the history of Halloween before in past spooky seasons, but not really this year, aside from how it related to pumpkins. So we're going to talk a little about that, but as it relates to costumes. So the concept of Halloween costumes started from the ancient Celtic tradition of Samhain. None of What's us have ever known how to say that. I think it's Samhain. Samhain? Samhain. Okay, I take oh. it back. Neither Zoe but nor I have ever known how to do I that. only I I wasn't sure and Ozzy said it last week and I, because I edit I like was re-listening and I was like no that is correct. I looked that it up sense. because I had no idea. Also. Yeah, that does sound right. So anyway, I'm sorry to all the, the Celtics out there that I've disrespected your culture. Uh, <laughs> the <laughs> so Samhain marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of winter, which is a time of year that was often associated with human death. And Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of living and dead became the most blurred. So on the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. Because of this, it became a tradition for people to have bonfires and wear scary costumes that would ward off the ghosts. And then another influence um, on how we celebrate modern day Halloween is All Saints Day, which initially on May 13th in 609 um, BCE, Pope Boniface IV um, dedicated the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic feast of all martyrs day was established in the Western church. And then Pope Gregory, the third later expanded that festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and move the day from May 13th to November 1st. So by the ninth century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands as well, where it gradually blended with and supplanted older Celtic traditions. And in 1000 BCE, the church made November 2nd, All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related like church sanctioned holiday. And All Souls Day was celebrated similarly to Samhain at the time with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils primarily. Just want to clarify that what they meant to say was a thousand CE. Yes. Yeah. All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallowmas from Middle English, All Hallowmes, meaning All Saints Day. And the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain in the Celtic tradition became began to be called All Hallows Eve. And eventually that all morphed into Halloween. So this holiday began to come over to the U.S. And with that, a distinctly Americanized version of the Halloween started to emerge. The first celebrations included what were called play parties. We love what to a see coincidence. it. <laughs> really love that. And Halloween them. play parties still exist to this day. <laughs> it means something different today. <laughs> 
Um, uh. At the time, they were public <laughs> events held to celebrate the harvest. And neighbors would share their stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, dance, and sing, some of which sound similar to things that we do now. And by the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivals were common as well. But Halloween wasn't yet celebrated everywhere in the U.S. at that time. Yeah, and also, like, Halloween costumes from this time still mostly drew from Samhain's origins as a day where the barrier between life and death is thinner and, like, you might be able to communicate with loved ones who had passed on but also needed to be careful of more malicious spirits that might be trying to mess with you. So those costumes were intended to be scary and they genuinely were pretty terrifying, Um If you want to be scared, I really recommend that you do an image search for 1900s Halloween costumes. Um, It's (laughs) really terrifying. Yeah, it's it's very cursed. It's a lot of like very elaborate, like paper mache masks that kind of like intentionally play with scale to make it look like people have these like huge kind of like doll heads or like really big noses or really big eyes kind of like exaggerated features um it definitely has some of that like what today we might call an uncanny valley vibe of like is this a human is this an object we don't know um and part of the reasoning for these costumes had to do with the idea that these evil spirits might be trying to harm you on halloween so if you were dressed up to look inhuman maybe you were one of those spirits they would be more likely to leave you alone um but there was also always a more kind of like personal element to costumes um i read this one interview with a historian who said that a lot of the point of these costumes was to disguise yourself not just like from spirits but also from like your neighbors um so she said quote hiding behind their costumes villagers often played pranks on one another but blamed the spirits masks and cover-ups came to be seen as means to get away with things unquote Um, And, you know, we definitely see this aspect of naughtiness and kind of like the line between playfulness and property destruction blurring a little bit on Halloween, um, which I think is always a good thing. Uh, (laughs) And I guess thinking more about like, yes, exactly. Um, Thinking more about like the materials these costumes were made of. So in the early 1900s, you know, this still was not like a holiday that was celebrated everywhere yet it was common for people to make costumes out of homemade materials like bed sheets like paper leftover paper makeup whatever they had kind of laying around um but as i know zoe is going to talk about more this like association between kind of fast fashion and mass media and halloween had a very early start also Yeah, so I want to talk about some like trends in U.S. costumes and how they emerged over the years. So in the early 1900s, some of the like most popular costumes were to be like clowns, witches, devils and ghosts. And a lot of the costumes were made out of cray paper because the Denison Manufacturing Company began publishing an annual series of bogey books, um, which started in 1909. And those showed how to use cray paper to make um, how homemade halloween costumes and decorations and fun fact um my mom like when we were little taught my sister and i how to make masks out of cray paper and i don't think they were like intentionally creepy but we would like do baby basically like paper mache our faces and they were honestly super creepy but oh it was my really god fun. <laughs> <laughs> okay i was gonna say that's really cute but it also sounds terrifying but that's still i love it though <laughs> They were, but it's a really fun craft. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it sounds great. And it's historically relevant, you know, celebrating Halloween's origins. Um, I also wanted to talk a little bit about kind of like the emotional aspect of costumes during this time. Um, This same historian that I was referencing earlier, um, I'm not sharing her name just because I don't actually know if she's like good or like knows about anything besides halloween so i'm not like trying to give her a huge platform but in case she's canceled yeah in case she's canceled i don't know i mean hopefully she's not canceled because like what if all of this is a lie but i (laughs) i think she's trustworthy on halloween maybe not other things who knows (laughs) anyway she said halloween was a day seen as outside of normal when you act outside of society's norms um even like as early as the 1900s 
And as we'll get into more in a bit, this has definitely continued to be an important theme of Halloween. Um, And obviously this has like a positive aspect of being a time when like queer and trans people, for example, others who are marginalized in society can break out of social norms that are oppressive and harmful during the rest of the year. On the other hand, this also has always had some negative aspects. Um, So I was thinking of like today when we hear of some celebrity or politician wearing blackface, the first excuse is almost always like, oh, it was like a costume party. It was Halloween. Um, It was, yeah, like it was just a joke. It was just Mm. a costume. Mm. Um, And this aspect of sort of like wealthier, more powerful, mostly white people feeling licensed to mock and demean people on the fringes of society was a thing at the beginnings of Halloween dress up as well. Um, So in the early 1900s, this mostly manifested in people dressing up as like pirates, thieves, like kind of people with more marginal jobs, um, quote unquote gypsies. That was a popular costume. And even just as the general concept of unhoused people. Um, And getting closer to the 1920s, this also started to creep into like the more commercialized and slightly less homemade version of Halloween that was starting to emerge. Yeah. So in the 1920s, the slipover was the most popular kind of costume because it was super simple and um, inexpensive to make. And the slipover was basically just like a straight slip of crepe paper um, cut out at the neck and then kind of hanging straight down in the front and the back. And these were somewhat more intricate than the previous like sheet costumes. That's kind of the, as Ozzy mentioned, that's kind of like stereotypical, like ghost costume you throw a sheet on or whatever. These were like able to be a little more intricate. So um, paper masks were also a common Halloween costume and they were often made by cutting paper into the shape of your face and then like painting something over it. And as as Ozzy mentioned, there were many racist beliefs that led to costumes like blackface, redface, brownface, yellowface, which really came into popularity um, around the 1920s and 30s, where white people began dressing up as other races as like a funny haha. And there's uh, these newspaper clippings that I saw from around that time with like lists of Halloween costume ideas for children, and they included things like. Aunt Jemima and um, Chinese princess. Yikes. Oh boy. The Chinese prince. I mean, they're both bad. The Chinese princess one baffled me because like, why can't you just dress up as a princess of whatever race or nationality that you are? Well, presumably that's not racist enough. Right. I mean, you shouldn't dress up as Aunt Jemima (laughs) if you are not black either, to be clear. Um, But like, why a Chinese princess? I I don't know. Yeah, but I people are <laughs> fucked <laughs> and have no originality. Yeah. So I get it. It's tough to be creative, but, you know, step up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So in the 1930s is also when people started dressing as cartoon characters, which was the first Halloween costume that was like pop culture based in any way. And so in 1937, Ben Cooper Inc. was established and the company was originally a vaudeville and theater costume company, but they rebranded after not really receiving that much business during the Great Depression. Um, And also because audiences were moving away from stage and more towards radio and film. Also, it was the Great Depression. A lot of people didn't have money to be going to live performances. but so. Ben Cooper soon realized that children would want to dress up as the characters that they were seeing in movies. And so the company went to Walt Disney immediately after Snow White came out and started producing um, like a Disney filled Halloween costume catalog. And Disney also partnered with the McCall Pattern Company in 1932 so that families had the option to like sew their own Mickey and Minnie costumes if they couldn't afford the ready made ones. And just a fun fact, I was obsessed with Minnie Mouse growing up. Um, I called her my hero on multiple occasions. Amazing. I don't know why. Um, but I, <laughs> I was wore a her... Minnie Mouse dress the first day of kindergarten. I was her Adorable. for several Halloweens wearing like the same costume that I had. I don't remember the origins of that costume, but I wore it for like four years until it would not fit me anymore. Oh, that's amazing. I hated my dress. <laughs> that's so Thank you so My much. mom really wanted me to be in it and I just wanted to be in overalls. But anyway, 
<laughs> you could have been the Mickey to my mini. I am actually. But doesn't Mickey wear overalls? Basically, he wears high waisted trousers. They're like the high waisted pants with the little buttons on them. But with Isn't but, it like a suspender, with a strap, is it suspenders? Though. I don't think so. I think they oh. do. Oh. I thought there were straps. That's why I was thinking over. I thought right. straps too, but I don't know. No, there's no positive. straps. It's just big pants. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. Just well, big pants. Once again, our brains got the same the thing wrong in the same way. <laughs> so then. In the 1940s, the popularity of costume pinup photos led to the emergence of sexy costumes. So pinup photos were really, really popular in the 1940s, partially because a lot of famous actresses would um, do like pinup photo shoots to promote movies that they were in. And another reason is that um, the U.S. government was (laughs) employing like or using like pinup as wartime propaganda to be like, look at these beautiful women who are so worth fighting for your country for. So <laughs> pinup was super, super big at the time. And of course, whatever is like trendy in the media becomes trendy widely. So pinup inspired Halloween costumes became very popular. And that's what's morphed into the like sexy costumes that we see today that are often less pinup y, but they could be. Wow, that's so interesting. I also, it's interesting that you were talking before about like the church trying to replace Samhain with a different holiday because there was kind of an element of that during this time as well. So starting in like the 1940s-ish, mass media started referring to like vandalism and mischief on Halloween as the quote Halloween problem and they blamed it partly on people's anonymity behind like a mask or a costume so essentially I think it's like an early version of the idea of people feeling like emboldened to say mean things on social media but it was just like oh no people are wearing masks now they're gonna do all kinds of things that they would never do without a mask, Um, which, you know, obviously people being rude on social media is a problem, but like, I feel like this is also one of those things where it's not really like the costume is not really to blame. Like if someone's going to do something bad, they're probably (laughs) going to do it anyway. And also some light mischief is probably fine. (laughs) Um, But Anyway, local governments really started trying to have these efforts to make Halloween more of a children's holiday, Mm -hmm. like a little bit more like what it is today, where it's focused on kids dressing up um, instead of, you know, kind of the like darker and more raunchy event that it was starting to become. Um, The Chicago City Council even voted in 1942 to abolish Halloween and establish something called Conservation Day on October I'm living in the wrong city. I have to go. I know. Well, luckily they have like repealed that law now, but yeah, it was rough if you were in Chicago at that time. Um, And I don't know, this also kind of went along with like a growing commercialization and kind of like defanging of Halloween, like making it something that could be more palatable for kids and families and like combining it with the entertainment industry, which I know Zoe is also going to talk about more. Yeah, so in the 1950s and 60s, it is when it became more common for people to have TVs in their households um, because they were becoming more affordable, like widely, which meant that costumes of TV characters became a lot more popular, particularly cowboy and Western costumes were really popular in the 50s because there were so many Western shows at the time. And also in the 1950s, there were... um, some like technological innovations that led to um, the like latex masks. And so because of that technology Mm. is when we started seeing the like celebrity and politician, like freaky latex masks. Oh, so since we're sharing fun facts, um, I was in seventh grade, it was um, Halloween 2000 mere day or 2004, rather mere days before the Bush Kerry election. And in my extremely conservative, extremely white, like upper middle class, um, North Carolina um, neighborhood, I decided what I should do is get a George W. Bush mask, dress up as George W. Bush and wear a pin that said very creatively, Bush is scary, vote for Carrie. 
as a political statement <laughs> oh and God. i <laughs> so cringe and i also cannot believe wow, that my mom was it. like yeah this is a great idea like go for it like antagonize your neighbors and also look like a dumbass at the same time like what could go wrong anyway shout out to latex mask <laughs> well the good news is you could have done that starting in the 50s Bold. Just, I love to think that there were like little Kellens out there that were wearing like Dwight D. Eisenhower masks doing the exact same thing. Yeah, know? exactly. I love that. <laughs> long, long lineage. <laughs> it's a proud tradition. <laughs> so yeah, in, in the 60s was also when like second wave feminism was was picking up. And so that kind of continued with the more like sexy costumes and in more of a like reclaimed feminist way around like the sexual revolution and in 1966 is when julie newmar made her debut as catwoman in the batman tv series and that inspired a lot of um sexy cat suit costumes which i love that very important which are yeah still relevant to this day really Mm -hmm. yeah which i feel like could be traced to like a lot of the like sexy animal costumes like in mean girls where they're like you know, the cool mm. girls just wear like lingerie and animal ears. I'm a mouse, right. duh. <laughs> um, yeah, I also wanted to say that by the 1960s, um, this costume company that Zoe mentioned earlier that partnered with Disney that was called Ben Cooper Inc. owned 70 to 80 percent of the costume retail market. Um, which I feel like says a lot about how much more like ready-made the industry had become. So this was like a company that sold fully made costumes and people were no longer as interested in like making their own costumes in this more haphazard homemade way, or even like sewing more elaborate costumes from a pattern that a company would sell. Um, But it's also just really interesting to me how monolithic the industry was in that this one company controlled pretty much all of it. Um, And this same company would continue to control essentially the entire costume industry, like pre-made costume industry up until the 1990s, at which point it went bankrupt. Um, Then it was bought by another costume company, which also recently went bankrupt. So if you own the entire industry that you work in, like how bad at business do you have to be to fumble that bag? Like, honestly, I honestly, my guess would be that it has to do with like increasing like online Mm. retail and things like that. Um, Because this other company that acquired them didn't go bankrupt until like a couple years ago or something. (laughs) But yeah, it is very interesting that they had 80% of the market yet still went bankrupt. (laughs) Um, But anyway, all of that was like kind of a digression. But I just think it's interesting that this one company randomly had all of the costume (laughs) market. Um, But anyway, back to the main timeline. (laughs) Yes. So we're up to the 70s. Um, So at this point, Halloween night had the reputation of a lot of like festive quote cross-dressing and this was like the one night a year that a lot of queer and trans people could um kind of more like publicly be able to do that um in San Francisco there were laws in place that made it illegal to pose quote pose as a member of the opposite sex which is why on Halloween people would often wear like over the top drag and there was this idea that if it was like obvious that it was a quote costume that you couldn't be arrested for quote legitimate attempts at identity fraud and another fun fact one year my costume was just a boy and (laughs) I just wore like a short wig and I are I forget when this was because I often like thrifted like men's clothes anyway or I wore my dad's clothes whatever I just wore like a mask outfit and um I was like trick-or-treating with friends and literally when I got there one of my friends did not recognize me so I was a very believable boy that's so good amazing (laughs) I feel like my grandma has a story about that she loves to tell about one of my cousins who's a boy and he dressed up one year as a girl for Halloween but like the costume was so good that he would like go to the door and people would be like what you're not dressed up like what's your costume (laughs) little girl (laughs) that's so cute (laughs) that's so good Yeah, so then in the 70s and 80s, there was an onset of um, more like grotesque costumes that stemmed from a lot of um, horror. So the release of the movie Halloween, which came out in 1978, 
led to an increase in like Halloween associated horror movies. And that also sparked a lot more um, of like the well-known slasher films. And so as a result of that, there were a lot more um, grotesque and horror based costumes. And some of them were even mimicking like real world events. So for example, some people chose to dress up as Tylenol bottles at the height of the contamination scare in 1982. And then in 1994, um, the most like publicized costumes were very insensitive and weird. Um, Bloody OJ and Nicole Simpson costumes. Yikes. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. Those were like the most, like some of the most popular costumes. And so Denise Brown, who was Nicole Simpson's sister, issued a public appeal to boycott the products that were like exploiting that. Um, but it was like already too late because these were like both like homemade and like mm. costumes being sold. So people and that also so stupid. Yeah. And that also led to a lot of blackface because people were like oh, buying God. costumes to be OJ Simpson, who uh, were not the same race as OJ Simpson. Oh, my God. So, yeah, overall, the 20th century marked a large increase in the commercialization of costumes, as we've been discussing. In the 80s, Sears was um, one of the first department stores to start a Halloween section within their store, which was called the Halloween Shop at Sears. And this is also um, in the 90s, temporary pop-up Halloween stores launched, such as Halloween Express and um in 1990 and spirit halloween in 1999 so by the 21st century halloween had become the second largest decorating retail holiday holiday after yours truly christmas <laughs> um yeah i guess I, we're gonna get more into kind of like what the costume industry for modern halloween looks like but i do think it's interesting that halloween has become like I don't know, sometimes more of like this kind of celebration of like capitalism and buying a ton of shit as opposed to its origins as this very kind of like handmade fucked up like ramshackle holiday and like minor crime being a pretty (laughs) big part of it. Um, And I don't know, I think that Halloween still has like a lot of radical potential that I see, especially in like queer and trans communities and sex worker communities where Halloween has this, like, it's this time that can be, like, a space of radical potential for gender and sex and sexuality and, like, what our relationships to those things are. Um, But I do still think that it would be nice to kind of, like, return to Halloween's origins a little bit and, like, have some more like light property destruction <laughs> encouraged as well like like be gay do, do crime, crime. Exactly. i was <laughs> gonna say it um I more don't crime I, I was also more about... being gay <laughs> yes like <laughs> definitely both um and i feel like as we've been talking about like those have often gone hand in hand as well <laughs> with regards to halloween but um, one of my favorite Halloween movies, The Purge, is about like a future where there's one day a year where all crimes are mm-hmm. legal. And I think that that's kind of a funny premise, but also it's like Halloween has been kind of a real version of that, of like a time when like it's a little bit more socially acceptable to just kind of like be a bit naughty. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like we do just kind of need times of year where that's the case, where like the boundaries of social rules are a little bit looser and people can like break out of things that are maybe holding them back a little bit. Totally. Such as laws. <laughs> laws are always <laughs> holding us back. Um, yeah. And also there's just something inherently gay about coming up with an intricate outfit or a theme. We love a theme. We love a okay. whole vibe. Halloween is for the gays. <laughs> Um, Yeah, so now that we've talked about the history of Halloween costumes, it's time to bring in the history of fast fashion, very briefly. Um, The Oxford English Language Dictionary defines fast fashion as inexpensive clothing produced rapidly by mass market retailers in response to the latest trends, just so we're all on the same page. And when we talk about fast fashion in the modern sense, we're really talking about something that developed in the second half of the 20th century and accelerated in the 21st. So as technology advanced and media moved more and more quickly, so did fashion cycles. This coincided with American and European clothing manufacturers beginning to move their production to parts of the world where they could pay less for labor, um, 
including especially global south nations where we just are depressed in the interest of exploitation for the benefit of the global north um and H&M is one of the biggest names in this transition. It, it was started in the 1970s. It didn't actually have a brick and mortar presence in the United States until the year 2000. Um, and Zara, which is another European chain, is also important in the story. And from what I can tell, the New York Times actually coined the term fast fashion when it wrote about Zara opening its first U.S. store in Manhattan in 1990. And what differentiates these companies from other clothing companies, even ones that are still like more affordable and like not necessarily super eco-friendly, um, like Old Navy or American Eagle, is the rapidness with which they respond to trends. This is not companies that are releasing seasonal um, catalogs. It's companies that are constantly churning out new items. Um, the idea behind fast fashion is that clothes are produced at massive numbers very quickly, but at relatively low quality to mirror rapid changes in popular style. And these clothes are not designed to be worn repeatedly because they fall apart, but rather to appeal to micro trends and then be discarded. So just to quantify things, the fashion industry today produces over 100 billion items every year. And it's not surprising that to make this happen, there are very serious ecological and human costs. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to start by looking at the labor rights issues that arise when we talk about fast fashion. For sure. Um, there is so much to cover with this, um, and we're not going to cover it all. But um I just would like to start by saying something my sister said to me, which really changed the way I think about this. Um, my sister is a fashion designer. She has her own clothing line, and she uses already made materials, primarily vintage quilts, to make amazing clothes. Um, and she basically has a team of two that help her sew, but she also sews and helps with all the production of her items. And... One time we were having a conversation one holiday and someone said to her, well, your clothing is the price it is because it's all handmade. And just responded, all clothing is handmade. And I just want you all to sit with that for a minute because all clothing is handmade. There isn't like automatic um, clothing machines, right? Like w there are ways that things are mechanized, but there's still someone creating these uh, seams um, at the other end of this. Um, so the cost of clothing is directly related to how laborers are paid, how materials were found or made. Um, so it's really interesting to me because I feel like a lot of people I know will go out of their way to sp spend more money on food that's more ethical. And of course, a quick reminder that there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. But food seems to be a primary way where people try to do ethical consumerism. And clothing is really just as exploitative and almost just as environmentally degrading, which we're going to get to, um, as the food industry. The clothing industry was the first, one of the first industries uh, globally to be part of what we understand as the race to the bottom. And Kellen already described this a little bit. So this is a really fun thing that capitalism does um, where because the rules for companies and country borders are basically that borders do not exist. Um, again, only for companies, obviously not for people. Um, and for example, a lot of clothes in the mid 2000s were made in China. And as laborers in China demanded higher wages, clothing companies moved their factories to Bangladesh and they continue to move um, in that way to other areas around the world. And this allows companies to squeeze the most vulnerable um, workers of the world to a pulp. Yeah. And a lot of these workers are working in really, really unsafe conditions. Um, there's a ton of chemicals that are not safe for like humans to be touching or engaging with in any large quantity that we're going to talk about more with like the ecological side of things. But there's other ways that it's really unsafe as well. So like one of the first events that brought Americans attention to the real cost of fast fashion was a 2013 collapse of the Rana Plaza Dhaka garment manufacturing complex, which was in Bangladesh. Um, over 1,100 workers were killed, 2,500 people were injured, and it is like record setting on so many levels. It's the deadliest accidental structure failure in modern history. 
it's the deadliest incident in garment worker history. I think it's the deadliest industrial accident in Bangladeshi history. Like, and all of this is saying something, especially the fact that it's the deadliest garment worker incident of all time, because it's very dangerous to be a garment worker. Like, as a side note, we've talked on this podcast before about the Triangle Shirtwaist Fire, which was another deadly incident involving garment workers who back then, as now, are mostly women. Um, in the case of the DACA building, it was actually home to more than just clothing um, factory workers. There were also stores on the first floor, um, which is where cracks, like giant cracks, began showing on the walls. Um, and the day after these cracks were discovered, the workers, who, like people who were working in the building who weren't garment, garment workers were not required to show up because it was obviously dangerous. But the bosses of the clothing factories housed in the building felt otherwise. They were the only ones who still required workers to come in despite the obvious structural problems. And it was that day, literally one day after the massive cracks appeared that the building collapsed and thousands were killed and injured. Um, so that's like, I mean, it's just like an absolutely horrifying story. And like, even outside of the physical dangers that can accompany garment work, there's also the issue of overwork and underpay that exists not just in fashion, but so many industries that have fled to the global South, like for the purposes of exploiting the people who live there. So I wanted to mention another example from Bangladesh, which has the second largest garment industry in the world. And it's, it's worth noting that that industry alone makes up 84% of Bangladesh's export revenue. So it's just massive there. Um, anyway, garment workers who make up a huge portion of the Bangladeshi economy went on strike in 2016 to protest their low wages. The minimum wage at that time for these workers was $64 a month, which is like so fucked up that it's, it's like hard to even comprehend. And their demands were a minimum wage hike to $200 a month, which is again, like still fucked up levels of underpayment for very difficult and very dangerous work. Again, this is three years after thousands of people were maimed and injured in a garment worker building collapse. Um, the response of the capitalist class was to fire literally thousands of people, and a similar story played out in late 2018, early 2019, when the Bangladeshi garment workers again went on strike for better wages. Um, the police were also um, brought out to try to force workers away from protests and back into factories. They deployed water cannons and tear gas against peaceful strikers, and some workers were even shot and killed during the strike demonstrations. And I bring all of this up to emphasize that the gar garment industry and especially the fast fashion industry is built on immense coercion and violence, like even by the stages of late capitalism. Yeah, I just wanted to add, I saw a headline this morning that at um, Shein, Shine, I never know how to pronounce that either. This one um, is Shein. I know that because of, like it's like she in, like she's in. Oh, yeah. Canceled. I thought it was Shine for the longest time. Yeah, it's so fucking oh. stupid. Anyway, well, <laughs> continue. Yeah. Well, I believe they're the highest grossing fast fashion company, yeah. if not like one of. Um, and yeah, their workers make three pennies per garment. God, that's so fucked up. Mm. They like um the the person who wrote the article had like basically like divided up their wage to like figure yeah. it out like how many garments they're expected to make per hour and all of that. Oh my god. Wow. Absolutely. Really rough. Um all that to say, thrifting for Halloween clothes, coming up with creative ways to make your outfit, and also prioritizing more local, ethically paid clothing companies, if you're able, is the way to go. Um, so now we're going to talk about more of the environmental issues with fast fashion. And again, there's literally like books written on forever. this. Yeah. So that we're just going to do skim notes. <laughs> so, yeah, there are, of course, many, many, many environmental issues that come with fast fashion. The dyes and pigments used on clothing is extremely toxic and has been destroying our freshwater system for decades. Um, it takes 700 gallons of water to make one t-shirt. Yeah, I was reading about this today 
it takes 2000 gallons of water to make one pair of jeans. And like, I didn't really know what that meant, but to put it in perspective, that's how much water one person drinks in 10 years. Yeah. Like that's why. If they're well wow. hydrated, which let's be honest, who among us? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always drinking out of big cups. Um, <laughs> Same. Yeah. Yeah. But. Hey, fine. Some among us. Obviously, water, <laughs> like fresh water, is only going to continue to become a uh, very scarce resource. We have what were fresh water systems being completely polluted and not usable for anything. But let's get into it. Um, additionally, most of these fast fashion items, particularly when it comes to costumes, but also just generally you know, plastic pumpkins, plastic, you know, decorations, whatever. They're all made of synthetic materials from plastic and fossil fuels, which not only adds to the greenhouse gas emissions currently collapsing the planet, but also these synthetic materials take at least 40 years to decompose in a landfill. Dyes, bleach, and other chemicals used in making fabric is the number two polluter of water in the world. That puts it right behind agricultural runoff and chemicals and right before oil pollution. Um, there's around 72 co- chemicals used in fabrics and that are not only toxic to the environment, but toxic to human health. Um, This runoff in our freshwater system is very linked to increased levels of cancers and other environmental issues, and I specifically would love to shout out a book by Sandra Sandberg called Living Downstream. Yeah, the clothing industry also pollutes waters with microplastics, which um, I feel like we're hearing more and more about these days. Um, And roughly 35% of oceanic microplastic waste can be traced to garment production. But it's not just like the actual production of the clothes that creates environmental issues. It's also just like the massive amounts of waste generated by catering to quickly changing trends with cheap goods. So this results in stores making way more than they need to and throwing away unsold items. It also leads to consumers trashing pieces either after they fall apart from just a couple of uses or after they stop being like quote unquote trendy. So roughly 95% of used textiles can be recycled in some way, but roughly 85% end up in landfills, at least in the United States. Um, The U.S. averages, I found this like mind blowing. The U.S. averages roughly 70 pounds of clothing thrown away per year per person. That's like that is a, so wild. A small child's worth nuts. of clothing being thrown in the trash every year per person in the United States. Well, um, I'm a hoarder with my clothes, so it's yeah. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. and like even donating items is not a guarantee that they're going to be reworn. So the Saturday Evening Post found that up to ninety percent of items donated to the Salvation Army or Goodwill or like similar charities end up actually being resold to clothing recyclers. Although I will say, like this is at least better than being thrown away outright. And this last point is like especially relevant in the context of the Halloween costume. So Halloween is a massive revenue generator. Um, according to the National Retail Foundation, Americans are now spending roughly $10 billion a year on Halloween items, at least $3 billion of which goes towards costumes. Um, and about 40% of Halloween costumes are only ever worn one time. This is a problem outside the United States as well. Quick shout out to Britain, because 2,000 tons of plastic waste are generated from mass market Halloween costumes in the UK every year as Boo. well. Brexit. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> <laughs> Roasted. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's also becoming more popular for people to buy costumes for their pets. Um, Americans spent $490 million on costumes for their pets in 2019 alone, which is more than double what they spent in 2010. I'm laughing because this is me. Um, my dog is now the proud owner of a beautiful spooky sweater that she wears daily starting yesterday. And, um, she does have a costume, uh, that she will be wearing. And I'm sure she'll rewear it because she's a sustainable queen. Oh, this sweater? This sweater is not coming off. 
<laughs> no, she will be wearing this sweater for many, many days and years to come. It will be getting as Yes. <laughs> she loves it because she gets very cold. So she's like mm. so cozy. She was so excited when I put it on her. Um, oh that's so cute. <laughs> outside of Zoe's dog Pisces, who again, sustainable queen, um, the general trend towards uh uh, disposing of Halloween stuff seems to be accelerating. So companies like Shein, um, which we mentioned before and is probably like the most notorious fast fashion brand in the world, now sells Halloween costumes. Um, I actually found a Refinery29 article that actually celebrated this trend. Um, and it, the, the article is called Fast Fashion Stores You Can Buy Your Halloween Costume From, which uh, made me want to die. Not the um, same Refinery29 that said we were one of the best political podcasts in 2019. 19 or 2020 I mean, oh I guess enough. <laughs> yeah refinery 1029 contains <laughs> multitudes I guess <laughs> they're big <ten>. um, <laughs> so the article um, includes the following quotes this year celebrate Halloween in style and shop fast fashion stores uh, for some fashion friendly haunts and um, then after that it presents a slideshow featuring a slutty football costume from H&M a slutty army onesie from Forever 21 and a slutty witch costume from Zara to be clear I have nothing against slutty costumes I love them um, it's more the fast fashion that's probably the problem but to the credit of the writer um the article does suggest that you know you can use this article to help you find costumes that are so cute you'll wear them more than once although i have a hard time believing that i'd want to wear a cheap looking h&m football jersey that was literally sewn into its own pants um (laughs) more than one time let alone twice but uh (laughs) anyway um (laughs) Just like other fast fashion items, um, the labor conditions for the people behind these Halloween costumes are, um, to put it bluntly, very bad. So Matthew Peterson, a professor of costume design, says, quote, the production of those costumes you see in the aisles are completely unethical. And I found this quote in one of the few articles I was able to find specifically talking about fast fashion and Halloween. Um, There's actually a lot less out there about that, this issue than I expected when I pitched this idea to other hosts, the other hosts of of Season of the Bitch. But um, I should say that... I should say that nevertheless, there are efforts being made to remind consumers that Halloween can still be fun while being sustainable. So Depop, a fashion resale app, has pitched itself as a way to find unique costume items without contributing to the fast fashion industry. Of course, it's in Depop's interest to do this, but I thought I'd share anyway. Um, Michael Ford, who is Depop's senior culture and trend researcher, told Input Magazine, quote, Gen Z and millennials are looking for more sustainable costume ideas, love to see it, which means turning to platforms like Depop, which promote circular fashion and unique one-of-a-kind finds at a reasonable price point. A lot of the products and styles we see our sellers selling in shop are also items that can be worn after Halloween and incorporated into your everyday wardrobe. Hell yeah. I fucking love Depop. I'm actually about to sell a bunch of shit on Depop. Ooh, heard um, you first. <laughs> yeah, heard it here first. <laughs> Exclusive. Link to Laura's shop in the text of this, this the description of this podcast. It, well, the thing is, it's going to take me a long time to photograph everything and measure it. No all. link. Sorry, no link. No, but yeah. you're going to have Google to keep it. listening because we'll let guess. you know. Yes. But, um, you know, the main thing this all comes back to uh, is that when profit is the driver, the environmental and labor rights will be disregarded at every turn. That's just how capitalism is. And, you know, we just live in hell. And that's why you're here with us, because we're (laughs) in it together. Well, I guess since this has all been pretty depressing, I wanted to talk a little bit about how to not have a depressing capitalist hellscape for Halloween. Um, I'm sure many people are already doing this, but I guess I just wanted to give some things that have worked for me and also some ways that you can maybe avoid this whole fast fashion problem a little bit. Um, so, you know, one thing is like, try not to buy a ton of new shit for your costume that you're never going to wear again. Um, I'm a big fan of either like my costume might be like I pick an item that I haven't gotten to wear enough or I really want to highlight and make a costume around that or like 
buy something new that I really want to wear other times of year and like make up a way that it goes with a costume like basically figuring out a way to not just like buy a new item that you're never gonna wear again but like make it an excuse to either get new items that you will wear again or reuse stuff um and we've talked a little bit about this but definitely just like thrifting or you know like if you're gonna use um disposable supplies like try to go more for paper rather than plastic um really one of the biggest issues is like all of these polyester costumes that fall apart almost immediately and become plastic garbage that really can't be meaningfully recycled um like Callum said it takes like 40 years for plastic to actually decompose and break down but also most plastic just isn't recycled there we do not have a good plastic recycling system so that's like the biggest thing to me just try to avoid the plastic clothes um and I guess the other thing I would say on that note is like try not to purchase like a ton of decorations just for a party and then immediately throw them away the next day I am very much not above buying like some small gourds that I will just display in my house and then let rot and <laughs> compost at the end of the month. But, you know, just try not to purchase like a fuck ton of plastic decorations every single year. Um, you know, paper is better again and something reusable that you'll use like year after year and can hang on to is even better. Totally. Um, my addition to this list that Ozzy started is to spend time with good friends. Um, I feel like any holiday is better with the company you keep. And if you're having a small group gathering where y'all can make random costumes, um, maybe do a murder mystery night. I fucking love murder mystery nights. I used to do them all the time. Great idea. You know, maybe do each other's makeup in ways you don't usually do. Uh, there's many ways to make it cheap and chill and good vibes. Yeah, definitely. I also think like, I don't know, I have some friends that I think are maybe like, kind of just see Halloween as like a children's holiday and don't feel like it has anything to offer to adults. Um, and I'm not really a huge fan of the like, bar going out getting drunk culture of Halloween. But I think it can be really fun to use Halloween just as a time to explore like, impulses that you don't normally lean into or like try on a new look for a night a new identity or just like let go of some of the rules that you normally have for yourself just for a day and see what happens um I think what I take from like the positive aspects of Halloween that I see um often in like queer and trans spaces is that it can be a time to discover things about yourself that you didn't know or if it if you try something out and it doesn't work it's just like a time to make a fun mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like both of those are valuable spaces to have and Halloween is a great time for all of those things. I love that. And as Ozzy said, this hasn't been the most uplifting episode, but maybe we could conclude by sharing like what we're going to be for Halloween this year, what our favorite Halloween costume has been, you know, something along those lines. Hell you. We love to end on a high note. I was realizing the other day, we started that at the very beginning. And, like, there was a minute where we were like, what if we don't end on a high note? We can't do that. But, like, we've done that, obviously, now since then. But I love I love ending on a high note. Anyway, I have no idea what I'm going to be this year. Um, Zoe and I are going to be hanging out the weekend of Halloween because my friend is getting married. And Yay. we're definitely doing a haunted house at a penitentiary. Haunted penitentiary, penitentiary, the Eastern State Penitentiary for for those with Philly knowledge. Philly yeah. heads, it's extremely <laughs> for the Philly heads out there. I'm already I've also scared. heard people in Jersey have heard of it. So for you Jersey heads, can't wait. <laughs> yes, yes, and um, also possibly attending their high school reunion. So either way, we're just gonna be like gothic energy. That could be very spooky. I, mean, I was gonna say I'll be cosplaying as um, an adult who's had a successful ten years. <laughs> Can't relate. Would never. Would never. No. Um, <laughs> That's the cosplay part. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Of course. But in terms of uh, ones that I have loved, um, costumes I have loved. One year in high school, I was a Lego. I, I think I've it seen was pictures of this. It's. Have you seen pictures? Yeah, you should. Oh, my God. Perfect. 
I didn't hear I you. I wasn't sure what you said. Um, yes, we'll find them again. Um, so it's basically a massive cardboard box. I painted it. I took paper bowls and painted them all green and glued them to the box. And I wore green um, leg warmers that I had because I was a dancer and <laughs> just was, uh, you know, a Lego. It was wonderful. Uh, definitely the most DIY costume <laughs> of my childhood. Um, I was definitely Damien from Vampire Diaries a couple years ago or maybe last year and basically just painted my face and wore my own leather jacket. Um, and one year I was the cook from Wet American, Hot Wet American Summer and uh, wore a cutoff shirt, drew on a beard and walked around with a can of open vegetables. If you know, you know. Um, and I just want to give an honorable mention to the several years I was some version of a plastic garbage bag, which my mom like twisted into being like, you're a princess, but this is your outfit or whatever it was. But like <laughs> growing up in Buffalo has meant that it's been snowy and very cold for several Halloweens. And so that meant if I had a costume all planned out, there were many times that my mom would just like put on a winter coat put on a bunch of things and then like put on a garbage bag and cinch it together and add like a couple add-ons to it. Um, sometimes your parents just have to keep you warm. I would also love photos of that. Um, I'll have so... to ask my mom. <laughs> yeah. Grow growing up, my mom and my sister and I would mostly get like costume source material from thrift stores. Like we'd go, there's this thrift store we went to in general for shopping a lot called new to you, which is a very cute name. And we would like pick things out cause they had a Halloween section. And then we'd go to the craft store and get like other things we needed. And we would like put together pretty weird costumes. One year, my sister was some sort of pun involving like a dog and a mailman. I don't remember anyway. Um, <laughs> but yeah, one year I found this like pink fringy cowboy outfit at the thrift store and oh, I, I love that. wore that. It, honestly, I wish I still had it. Mm -hmm. Very like Dolly Parton-esque. Mm -hmm. um, and then another year I got this idea in my head that I was set on being an autumn witch. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. I think I invented it. Um, so I cut out a bunch of like autumn colored leaves from felt and then I sewed them to this like long black dress and like a standard witch hat. I was in like third Obsessed. or fourth. Obsessed. <laughs> and I remember because we would do like a little Halloween parade at my elementary school and someone asked my mom like where like what my costume inspo was <laughs> and she was like I literally have no idea but she knew that. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah some of my favorite costumes as an adult I definitely mentioned this one before because it's my best of all time was my sexy <laughs> waffle costume so this is when a group of my friends in 2016 like right when stranger things came out we're doing like a group costume and I was like I'm gonna be the ego waffles <laughs> but sexy so I wore like sexy black clothes that I already owned and then I printed out and attached like the ego logo on like a mini skirt and I was wearing like black thigh highs and then I tried to make a bra out of actual waffles didn't work so well so I took a black lace bra and I cut out like photos of waffles the size of my boobs and made a waffle bra that way love that um it was Thanks incredible <laughs> Last year, I did a Jennifer's Body costume that I loved, which was pretty much um, just like I got this like white dress and oh, I got a wig. I do often buy wigs because I love them. But then I was just like covered in fake blood, which was super fun. And I feel like I'm going to be able to reuse the white dress I destroyed um, for many horror film costumes Absolutely. to come because they're always wearing white dresses covered in blood. That was so yeah. fucking iconic. It was so good. Thank you. That's. I have every piece of it. I am going to rewear it at some point. I don't have a ton of Halloween plans this year, but on Saturday I'm going to um, former co-host Ambria is having like a Halloween party slash um, campaign fundraiser running for Alderman in Chicago shout out that I'm going to. And it's like also part costume party. Um, and so I'm going to be like a, a, a goth sexy butterfly situation. Nice. Um, and 
Pisces does also have a butterfly costume. Love that for her. Um, And it's going to be really cute. It's actually like my outfit's goth, but then there's also like a rainbow butterfly component. So like Mm. it's, you know, it's giving gay, it's giving goth. It's going to be pretty fun. Yeah. Um, I wish Pisces could actually come to the event, but um, pictures. We're going to take pictures beforehand and then I will leave her home wearing her costume. (laughs) (laughs) So this year I have a couple of costumes that I'm going to wear to different like days that I'm very excited about. So one of them is Shania Twain and the man I feel like a woman music video, which is I think a beautiful commentary on gender. Um, And the other one is Natasha Lyonne in But I'm a Cheerleader, which I'm also very excited about. the best. Um, I'm using a lot of stuff I already have, especially for the Shania costume, but even stuff I got new, like a new orange sports bra for the butt of a cheerleader costume with stuff that I feel like I'll definitely find use for again. Um, as for my favorite, I think my favorite, which I forgot about for a hot second was when I was sexy Abraham Lincoln, um, because I was like, it was like a challenge that I extended to myself. I was like, can I make Abraham Lincoln sexy? And And I believe that I, I believe that I did. Yes. Um, I also really like low effort pun costumes, which in, you know, the theme of today's episode require very little in the the way of purchasing new clothes. So like one year I was a bed bug and all I bought was a pair of antennae and then I just wore pajamas. Um, another time, and this costume I actually wore with Zoe, I put on like a pig ears that I've used for a bunch of different costumes. And then I wore a little birthday party hat and went as a party animal. Um, very sustainable if I do say so myself although in full disclosure I I have bought fast fashion items I just try to use them more times than than you're supposed to but oh, for uh, sure homes among you know, us all right I gotta gotta be honest before I you know cast stones etc of course oh yeah um, but yes that was when we went to a psychic together yes. and Helen was dressed as a party guy. animal mm-hmm. um but also I think we can all agree that Kellen's best costume ever was last year when they dressed up as me and was let me so tell weird. you they looked very that hot. was amazing <laughs> that is perhaps the hottest I've ever looked <laughs> so good I feel like we were talking about this the other day or something, but like Bianca, who, you know, was a co-host at the time, they are so missed, um, genuinely was like confused at first when they walked in because they were like, wait, there's two Zoe's. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, because I was visiting New York and we met up at a bar and Kellen just showed up as me because the rest of us were not in costume. We were just doing like a goth spooky night and we like before halloween so we yeah. were doing goth spooky night and i was like perfect what is more goth and spooky <laughs> than dressing up as Zoe? <laughs> it was so incredible cool. kellen also like was very sly i was just did the typical like oh like what are you wearing like what yes. kind of jacket are you wearing and yeah. then like <laughs> use that to wear basically the same outfit i was wearing it was so good <laughs> incredible <laughs> Um, I also have been a big fan of the like low effort pun costumes. Mm. I will often do one that involves just like drawing a cat face on with black eyeliner and then like taping half of a word that starts with cat. So it could be like (laughs) astrophe, catastrophe, or like, I don't know. I've often done cat sup because then you can just like bring a bottle of ketchup and just be like, I'm ketchup. Um, <laughs> but like that, that was a go-to for me for many years, especially in college. Um, I love that. But also, I guess in the years leading up to me coming out as trans, I dressed as a boy many times. Um, <laughs> I did one costume uh, that was like, I don't know if y'all have seen Portlandia, but there's like uh, Fred Armisen and Carrie Brownstein and they have like one set of characters they play where they cross dress and so like Carrie's playing the man and Fred is playing the woman um, and my boyfriend at the time and I did that together mm. um, I also dressed up as Che Guevara one year yeah. which was great um, I was Freddie Mercury last year oh, yeah that was a good one um, that was a really good was one so yeah, that was pretty fun and that I bought like a new pair of jeans from a thrift store for and I'm wearing them right now Hell so yeah. that was a sustainability great icon yeah. wow. um but I I still don't know what I'm going to be this year to be honest I usually think of it at the last minute and then panic and like use whatever I have in my closet I'm sustainable by procrastination, not by choice. <laughs> also sometimes by choice, but like, Speaking you know. 
speaking of costumes, Ozzy and I are going to the Fletcher show on October 30th. Um, oh my god, oh my god Halloween. I forgot that was so close and to Halloween. That's what I'm wearing, my Natasha Leon <gasps> costume. Yes. Amazing. Oh my god. Yes. Okay. Well, now I'm like, maybe I should try to be, oh my god, like, be one the of- other character yes. from that or something. <gasps> oh my yes. god, Ozzy. <laughs> yeah but okay. do what you want we're gonna have to coordinate to. about this yes, yes. but oh my god i have know. an idea of who you should be i'll tell you in the group chat okay because of i love a group hair. costume honestly yes me too oh all right well um you know what else is sustainable this podcast but only with your help <laughs> thanks to your support yes so <laughs> If you'd like to keep us going, please go to patreon.com slash season of the bitch where you can throw us a couple of dollars, join our discord, chat with us about what you're going to be for Halloween. Um, Send pics in our selfies and affirmations channel. Exactly. You can also find us on Instagram and um, Twitter where I'm sure we'll be posting some of our Halloween looks at season of the bee. Um, you can get some spooky Halloween merch at seasonofthebee.com and um, send us an email, I guess, at seasonofthebee at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Throw us five stars if you can't throw us five dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, most importantly, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Love you. Love, Love you. you. Bye. 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 Bitch.